Here we go. The Earth Fox Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Fox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. All right, so we're both artists. You're a house DJ with the with the top 10 podcast in 13 countries. And I'm a musician and composer and producer. So I just wanted to start out by talking about the uh the pathetic state of art beyond music and I'm not I mean I don't know anything about painting. Me neither. I guess I know a little bit about uh, some of the modern, like, who's, what's the name of the artist that does the, uh, he does the crazy art stuff and then sells it at auction and then he kind of trolls whatever the, you know, millionaire that bought his art. I remember oh, a, a few. Oh, do you mean years, Banksy? I think that's it. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like shredded itself or something. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, right when the auction, yeah. right when the auction got over, it, that was like part of the art presentation. It suddenly like went straight into the paper shredder, and the art that you were left with was just a f- festival of shredded paper. Yeah, pieces. I think with that, the ironic thing is, is it was supposed to shred all the way, and it only and it got stuck halfway, uh, which was not intended. And I think. The funny thing about that is that it's probably worth even more now than it was that's when beautiful. it was sold. Well, yeah, and that's also like the uh, my uh, my dad is a collector of of various things, and uh, he so he informed me of of the phenomena that exists around like misprints and things like that. Like, oh, uh, a band will release an album. And it it's, has a you know certain level of rarity for the album, but then there's that small little run of of misprints where something got messed up in the factory, and there were ten albums that came out that had you know the R was backwards in the you know on the the binding of the whatever that makes it even more valuable because it's even more rare. But what I find disappointing. Not not only just about the quality of of what's being released is that there's no risks being taken. Mm. There's nothing really cutting edge mm-hmm. or imaginative, and I wonder what your opinion is on why that seems to be the case. Why are there no boundaries being pushed? Why do we need to have a new Batman movie every year? And- uh, let's, let's see. Let's see. There's a lot to unpack here because, of course, you know, a lot of these things become uh, commercialized. And it's not the first time like this has happened, you know. Everything gets commercialized. Even Elvis got commercialized, right? And he was like the king of rock or something. Um, and and he had all get... those terrible movies. Yeah, exactly, right? So there's, 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 there's that. And I think it's a sort of... Uh, these things go in cycles, right? Because like, you had the 90s, which is a very experimental time. 
uh, lots of money flying around for very cool projects. And then you had the Naughties, which was uh, sort of similar, but a lot more subdued. And now you've got right now, which is, and you sort of see what happens where you get like a little bit of risk, established brand, then it becomes commercialized and, and then they want to, you know, turn it into a cash cow until eventually they sort of run out of steam in that brand and then they have to reinvent themselves. So I think we're just at that point right now with a lot of things, you know, music artists, movies, where we're at this point where um, things have been working before in the past. Therefore, investors give money to do things that they know works until eventually it doesn't work and then they stop giving money to those projects and give money to new ones. So it's one of these things where I believe you almost just have to wait for you know, Batman to just literally just stop making money and then people just won't do it anymore. Um, that Money talks, essentially. And it's the same for music artists. Like, eventually people just, just get tired of, of hearing the same thing over and over again. Some people manage to stay relevant and, and stay on top. And to that, I've, I have a lot of respect because you have to have that commercial element of that to keep selling uh, music. And you have to have some, some level of creative in that commercial thing which is very hard to do you know the more commercial responsibility you have you know with like agents and staff and record labels and pr and branding and all this sort of thing you know the harder it is to be creative because you've got so many more things running in the background so anyone that can stay you know on top and and i'll say i'll take my hat off to someone like taylor swift even though i despise her music because i just i just don't like it the fact that she's been able to stay on top is sort of a indication of that she has a really good team commercially that she can make money but at the same time is still somewhat creative enough to stay on top and stay relevant so it's just a bit of that i mean my opinion of, of it really is just that it's it's just yeah i mean it's just a very tired time right now but you know we're going into a period of time which is which is harder you know we've come out of a pandemic which pissed off a lot of people we're in a politically really difficult situation there's a war going on in europe uh, you know, financially, people are feeling the hurt. And whenever that happens, you start to get these sort of like eras of history, which start to breed different things, changes, this, that and the other. So, you know, I, it's a bit it's a bit boring right now, but, you know, we'll see in the future, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Those times, the times of strife do breed a lot of I mean, like the Vietnam War era, there were so many songs and so many bands like hung their careers on their wartime songs. Exactly. You know, right, like, yeah. like Jimi Hendrix, for example, had a bunch of uh, songs that, that talked about Vietnam. So I, but you know, I'm, I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm still waiting for those, for those great songs of, of strife. I mean, did you hear that one song? Uh, oh, I did actually. Oliver and Anthony. You know what? That's, yeah, that's the first, that is the first thing. There you go. That's going to be the first, that's the first thing. That's how you know, you know, that sort of era has begun. If you think about like the era between 2010 and 2020, nothing really that bad happened. People genuinely did, generally did reasonably well, you know, in their life. After 2008, of course, is, is, is an issue. But, you know, that era between 2010 and, and 2020 is sort of a forgettable point in time, apart from maybe like Gamergate and all that sort of social thing. But that wasn't really big enough to start to start off a you know a complete you know historical era. I think the point we're at now, 
there's so many broken things wrong with society and also just logistically between countries diplomatically and economically and just so many so many things going on right now that it's just sort of it's it's definitely big enough to start off that new era but well, i don't know about you but yeah one of the interesting things about um oliver anthony and his song uh richmond north of richmond was uh i think it was jason aldean the country artist said if if Oliver Anthony was signed to a major record label, they would have sat on that song and not pushed it out because of the sort of anti-establishment message. And I think that's the difference, one of the major differences, one of the contributing factors to why our art is so watered down is because the record executives and the movie producers and studios, they don't want to take a chance that this, whatever product they're putting out, won't have the wide appeal that they want it to have. So they stay with whatever is safe and whatever is familiar. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we have, uh, you know, that, that cover songs are become so successful and a, and a band can launch their career doing a cover of, I mean, I don't know the, the sound of silence that uh, dis, the band disturbed re-recorded. Yeah. Good song. That was, uh, yeah, it was, it was very well done. I have, I have no, uh, no complaints, but yeah, I think I mean, that's, that's part if of if you're looking at yeah if you're looking at the big the like the big record labels the, the almost the untouchables for like mainstream music then then for sure you know virgin sony columbia all these massive companies i mean they they are formulaic in nature they they will take people straight off the street and just give them a song that they've already made and said you look pretty good we're just going to market you and you're going to sing a song that we've already made, produced, and everything. So it's almost like a, a formulaic sort of, you know, apparition of, of an artist, not even like a grassroots, you know. Well, and that was the, some, yeah. how, that was the beginnings of, of the boy band era, right? In sync and the Backstreet Boys yeah. were built by producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With songs, like you say, already written. And they, yeah. they, they track down these artists that are desperate. They're not very good, but they're desperate. And they give them singing lessons. And they say, you just, you, you, uh, essentially they say, you be controllable. You follow orders and we'll make you a star. And I think we're seeing kind of the culmination of those policies and those business procedures. Right now, with the fact that we don't have anybody, like I was, uh, you know, listening to the one of Tim Pool's many podcasts, and they had on this band um, Adelita's Way, which I, I I recognize the name, but I'll be honest, I don't know many of their songs. Um, and they were claiming that they, since they've kind of established themselves as an independent 
act. They have, uh, you know, an album that they released independently that went gold. But they will be, uh, they'll be barred from major festivals that have big corporate sponsors because they're not, whoops, I hate it when stuff (laughs) starts automatically playing. (laughs) Um, Because they have, they they get barred from these festivals because they have uh, their, their own way of doing things and they don't, they won't regurgitate a corporate narrative or, or a political narrative. And this is how a lot of culture is sort of shaped and defined because whoever the people are pushing the narrative, I mean, you, you have to notice the Hollywood actors, the big Hollywood actors, they get, they get on, uh, you know, whatever, YouTube or Instagram and say, uh, hey, everybody go get vaccinated. Everybody go put on your mask. Uh, you know, I hate Donald Trump. And they, they, they spew all of these narratives that come from the left, from the leftist politicians and the leftist mm. media. And mm. from, from, you know, establishing that concept, you have to think, all right, there's no, at a certain point, the pool of acts, musical acts and actors and artists will be reduced because certainly people are going to realize, hey, these policies are, are either based on lies or are taking us down this path of destruction and I won't be a part of it anymore. And if you establish yourself as a person or a band or some kind of talented personality, that won't follow orders and that won't bow to, to corporate muscle, well, then they just squash you. And I think that's why we don't have a lot of uh, anti-war songs. We don't have a lot of anti-establishment songs. In fact, we have like uh, one of like a, a great music video that came out a few years ago was one uh, by Maroon 5 where uh i i forget the name of the song but it's the the music video is where they're they're uh they're standing on a platform and the the camera kind of uh goes around them in a circle and each time it makes a revolution the person changes and and one of the actors in this video is Ilan Omar a radical leftist uh congresswoman from Minnesota like why why the hell is she in this music video? Oh, well, it's to garner support for the left and for this radical politician in Minnesota. So what do you think would happen if Maroon 5 says no, we're not we're not going to do that. We're not going to be political. We're not going to be uh we're not going to be your tools in this cultural movement. I mean, they're completely at the mercy of their record label. I mean, they even, they even put these kind of things in the contracts of artists and actors that's, that says, you, like, we, we own you, and we own all your stuff, and you better do what we say, or we're going to kick you, basically, we're going to kick you out of the band. When you yeah. see things like 
oh gosh, I don't know, Russell Brand, for example. I, I was I was actually gonna try to think of something lesser known before jumping right into Russell Brand, but it's it's top of mind, of course, because he's entered in into this, you know, giant shitstorm because well I would posit that he isn't because he since I think like 2016 or 2017 has established himself as uh we do, we as like anti that. for Christ's sake you don't you don't get to hit the play button anymore um sort of an anti-establishment voice that wants to communicate facts to the public which is where mm. I mean the state of journalism now is like the state of media now. We don't get to tell the truth. We only get to tell a story designed to create an emotional response that is then predictable so that we can continue along the course set for us by the ruling elites, the ruling establishment. So if you don't, if you're in a position of power, this is like what, what YouTube did circa the COVID pandemic. YouTube had set up this wonderful in infrastructure, and it happened on other platforms as well. It set up this wonderful in infrastructure for content creators to basically fund their lives by creating content for YouTube. YouTube hosts the content, they place ads, they earn ad, ad revenue, and then they give the creators a nice piece of this revenue to the point where these creators can do this as their job. They can quit their nine to five, they can make content on YouTube. Then they use this power, YouTube does to control the speech of these content creators. They say, mm, you were talking about ivermectin on that last video that you posted, so we're going to demonetize your entire channel because you said something we don't like. And since we're a private entity, it's completely within our legal right to do this. Sorry about it. You said things that we don't like, so we're going to completely cut off your revenue stream. Uh, I guess too bad, so sad. And this is what happens to actors if they decide that they're not going to go along. And this is what happens to bands if they decide that they're not going to go along. But in terms of Russell Brand, I don't know. I, I, I know only what he's told all of us. But my suspicion is that he's coming under attack for what he said on Bill Maher six months ago. We do. We no, like facts. I love facts. I wouldn't have mentioned it. I'm English, and you know that politeness is our fundamental religion. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they do pertain to this issue, so may I say please, something? Please, please. If they please inconvenience you, I I I'll stop saying them. The pandemic created at least 40 new far big pharma billionaires. Pharmaceutical corporations like Moderna and Pfizer made $1,000 of profit every second from the COVID-19 <laughs> vaccine. More than well. two-thirds of Congress received campaign funding from pharmaceutical companies in the 2020 election. Pfizer chairman Albert Baller told Time magazine 
magazine in July 2020 that his company was developing a COVID vaccine for the good of humanity, not for money. And of course, Pfizer made a hundred billion dollars okay. in profit right. in 2022. Right. And may I just mention finally, and these are this is the also so fact, sweet that you, the American public, funded the development of that. The German public funded the BioNTech vaccine. When it came to the profits, they took the profits. When it came to the funding, you paid for the funding. It's difficult not okay, to. But I, I will just add one thing. It is possible that these are reading capitalists who made a lot of money, yes. and also there are a lot of people who did need the vaccine. Yes. There are a lot of people who did need the vaccine. I, I did never wanted to be told I was one of them right. who had to take it, but there are lots of people who needed that vaccine and would be dead without it. That's that a, is true, too. Bill. That is true, too. More facts. All I'm querying is this. Yes. Is if you have right. an economic system in which pharmaceutical companies benefit hugely from medical emergencies, where a military-industrial okay. complex benefits from war, where energy companies benefit from energy crises, you are going to These generate right. states of perpetual crisis yes. where the interests of ordinary and, and, people well, yes. and, separate from the interests of the elite. So, uh, you can tell it's it's... It's kind of adorable. He's got his papers, and he's reading off all of his facts, and he's saying it as quickly as possible <laughs> because he just wants to get the information out there before they have a chance to cut his mic or, or interrupt him. And, I mean, I, I think he presented that information pretty well. Then a few months later, or, or, or a, a month after, he on his own podcast brings up the ownership of all of the major media companies and their interests and their parent companies that are uh, owned or governed at least in part by the massive uh, military industrial complex, you know, companies like Lockheed Martin and uh, Raytheon, et cetera. And, and, he illustrates how this is why we don't have, you know, anti-war messages aren't allowed on mainstream media. Anti-big pharma narratives aren't allowed on mainstream media. And now it's recent, it's, it's being exposed as we speak that it was journalists, or at least one journalist in particular, that has been going around tracking down these people that Russell Brand had relationships with, allegedly, and asking them, and I would suggest coercing or convincing them to come forward about their relationship with Russell Brand to uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe portray that relationship in a less than, than uh, ideal light for yeah for russell brand but what do you know about it what do i know about this uh the, the fact that this hasn't happened already is sort of amazing to me uh right from, because i mean one of these yeah. relationships is is you know from when you know 20 from 20 years ago yeah and i mean russell brand you know quite rightly states that he was very promiscuous which is a uh, a very english way of saying that he uh liked to have 
you know, uh, very special relationships with very, very many women. Well, he's a uh, self-proclaimed sex addict. He says he was a sex addict. I- exactly, exactly. So um, the fact that this hasn't happened uh, or- already around the Me Too moment or anything is is sort of a, it is sort of a red flag for me because the fact that it's happening now is sort of a very massive coincidence, especially considering that if anyone was going to ever have allegations against him, it would be someone like Russell Brand that constantly would put himself in the firing line of someone to make some, you know, allegation uh, about him. You know, the more you do something, the greater the risk is of something else happening. So the more you have, you know, lots of relationships, should we say, that the greater the uh, chances for something to happen like that or, or, or for allegations to be raised. So the fact that no allegations has been raised in such a long time with so many partners uh, until now is sort of interesting. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that someone's got a stick up their ass and they're looking to, you know, character assassinate brand. People have tried to do it before. People have done it before. It's not the first time he's been cancelled, really. And what do you um, what do you think about that technique of of a, a journalist either taking it upon themselves to go uh, uh, coerce past relationships to come forward with uh, salacious information potentially? Uh, you know, I I sort of find it a little bit like a effort in futility because i don't know who the journalist is but i know all about russell brand now so what they're trying to do essentially isn't really working because russell brand is probably more famous now than he was a week ago than he was 10 years ago obviously he's famous for the wrong reasons right now but russell brand can now sit back and say look the establishment is coming after me and he can just go even further off the deep end and, and get even more followers from other people, people that listen, that might listen to Piers Morgan, people that might listen to Andrew Tate, people that might listen to Elon Musk and all these other people that sort of sit on the sort of outside of maybe the, the standard establishment thing. So, you know, these journalists that do this, I think their intention is that they want to get rid of someone that they don't agree with. And the only thing they know how to do is just write news. And so they use the news to get rid of these people. But whether that actually works, I'm not really sure. It didn't really work with Trump. Uh, it didn't, it hasn't worked with Elon. He's still there. And loads of people hate that guy. Um, maybe it worked with Boris Johnson, but he had a lot of real actual reasons to get rid of him. But uh, if we're looking for just well, pure he, character assassination alone, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure it really works. And this, see, this is the issue that I have with these, with these Me Too cases and, and allegations. There's no evidence to support your claims 20 years after you say you were raped. I'm sorry. That's just the fact. I'm not saying that we shouldn't believe you. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm saying, ladies, if you're raped and you want the guy to stop raping people, then you have to go to the police. Yeah. You, you, you have to subject yourself to, to the testing, to the evidence gathering. I'm I'm sorry that it's humiliating and it's devastating. Yeah. And and all of the terrible things that go along with with being raped and then 
you know, going to the police and, and pressing charges, but it is a com- incumbent upon you to come forward while there's still time. Yeah, exactly. Because if you put it in a different way, like if someone shot my dad or something and I said nothing and no one knew nothing, and then 20 years later, I report them for shooting my dad, you know, that, and then there's well, yeah, no evidence and, for that. And are you any less traumatized? I mean, when, no, when of, and, and, of, and this is exactly not. like, like you, you've hit on exactly the example that I wanted to bring up in this discussion. If you come into your home and you find your loved one has been murdered, are you any less traumatized by, by what you've discovered than, than no. had you been raped? I mean, two men discussing this could could never comprehend what it's like i mean well i guess that's not true if if any of us had spent any time in prison but the point is <laughs> being traumatized thank you <laughs> being traumatized is not a a legitimate excuse to allow that your your you know victimizer to go free because you, yeah. you've, you have to be proactive. And I think that these, I mean, how many people, like, like what's, what's the dollar amount for, for the average person? I'm not, I'm not talking you or I, but for the average person, if, if, if they were approached on the street and somebody said, hey, I'm a yada yada journalist from yada yada publication, and uh, I'd like to talk to you about your relationship with, with Russell Brand. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. That was a long time ago. I blah, 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 blah. Well, what about, uh, how about if I give you $10,000? Here, here's this contract. We'll, uh, we'll pay you, we'll pay you this salary as a consultant on this story. And you just have to sign this contract that says you won't talk about your, your, you know, this, this financial exchange and, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make your house payments for the, the rest of the year, the next 18 months. How many people, especially right now with the economy and inflation, how many, how many people would say, nah, I'm good. I don't want to. I don't want a bunch of free yeah, money to make that. up a little it's... story about Russell Brand. That guy's an asshole anyway. He never called me back. We had that one wonderful weekend, and I was so excited to be his girlfriend. And then, you know, fuck him. I'm happy to ruin his life because I'm bitter. Yeah, I mean... It... I'm not saying yeah, that that's I mean... what happened. I'm not saying that's what's going on with these Russell Brand allegations. I'm just saying... Is it not a possibility? I mean, shouldn't I we think... look at these allegations through that potential lens, especially 20 years later for some of these things? I mean, you hit the nail on the head, really. We, we should be looking at these allegations. That's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be making any inferences at all, whether he's guilty or not guilty. We should be just looking at the allegations yeah, and, and just seeing them on, on face value. And it should be done in a court of law, not in the fucking street. That's how societies uh, should work, but uh, no, uh, that's well, not the all, way all it's, it's taken right now. All, all it's taken is is for these allegations to be brought forward. Yeah, of course. And now Russell Brand is demonetized on YouTube. He's he's they're they're not playing his show on BBC anymore. Um, I think they're taking his movies off of the streaming services, and they're they're trying to inflict as much 
economic harm on him as possible simply based on the allegations. Honestly, I think I think this is the best thing for Russell Brand that's happened to him in a long time. Uh, I think I think he's going to be even more famous after this. I think they have done a fucking massive W for Russell Brand. Right now, it, it might hurt, but this is going to make him so famous. This is going to make him look like such an anti-establishment figure. This is going to make him extremely popular. Well, and this is one of the co- the conspiracy theories that the left is rolling out. Russell Brand knew that these allegations, they, he knew that the clock was ticking and that these women were going to come forward. So he amassed this massive following of, of alt-right extremists <laughs> that don't trust the establishment <laughs> media to, no, you know, you know what made all of these people not trust the establishment media? Uh, five years of Russia collusion hoax against Donald Trump and then another three years of, of the, the COVID hoax which was per- perpetuated, as Russell Brand said, by Pfizer and the CDC and the FDA and Moderna and, and uh, BioNTech or BioNTech or however, however you're supposed to say it. All, all of these companies that control all of these mainstream media outlets that created all of this hysteria to generate f- false demand. Well, I guess it wasn't really false demand, but to generate a bunch of demand for their vaccines and their other treatments that allowed them to make, as he said, a thousand dollars a second, and were meant to then believe from these same media establishments that that Russell Brand is the bad guy. Hold on a minute, he just exposed all of you bastards for the bullshit you've been fisting down our throats for the last decade, and and we're supposed to believe that you're just this benevolent arbiter of information that's that's trying to expose the bad guys to the world well you've you've really failed in your duties over the last many many years but now we're supposed to believe you like if it's anybody's fault that that the majority of the population doesn't believe the mainstream media it's the mainstream media that's to blame Yeah, I to- I, to- I totally agree. They-, they have they have created this situation. They they have uh you know, they they have taken shock um articles and you know, public outrage and they have essentially weaponized it. And now they're in a position where um they don't know how to control it. Well, in what because... other way like it's it, it's like you say they've they've established this precedent yeah and it started way back with uh i mean i don't know was was harvey weinstein the first i mean he was the first big yeah. one yeah i think it was around like the sort of gamergate you know very early sort of feminazi movement back in like 2015 or something i think that for me that was like the beginning of the culture war you know when all the when, and that was and then jordan peterson started coming up and that that seemed like the era that started all of this. Before that, I don't think anyone gave a shit about any of this stuff. Uh, there was no Me Too. There was no cancelling someone because you didn't like their opinion. Well, that and, all seems and, to have emanated from that time. And 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 Harvey Weinstein was, uh, you know, a, a predator for for twenty years. Well, I mean, he was probably always a predator, but he was preying on women in in the film industry in his capacity of as a 
massive producer for years and years. And everybody knew. And nothing oh, was yeah. done about it. Now, I'm not no. saying, I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, I have to be honest, it did enter my mind. Well, what was, why, why did they target Harvey Weinstein? What did Harvey Weinstein know? What was Harvey Weinstein going to come out with? And then I realized, no, no, no. No, Harvey Weinstein was real. Harvey Weinstein had to be real. Because if Harvey Weinstein wasn't real, then they couldn't establish this precedent that would allow them to cancel any other actor or, or celebrity that wouldn't go along with the narrative. They established Harvey Weinstein as the true monster that he was. And then that allowed them to say, hey, uh, you better not step out of line or we're going to Weinstein you. And, they, and, and that established that they could do that for anyone. And they don't yeah, need due think, process. Yeah, you, no, no, they, they can just draw parallels between people that have actually done, you know, really horrible things. You know, Weinstein had that sort of tirade of time in which, you know, he was in a, such a powerful position. I mean, if you look back, the amount, the, the movies that he did, and that was the thing, like, the movies he would produce were fantastic because he was the guy that was willing to put the money behind some really interesting projects. And so he owned, a, 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 you know, an extreme amount of power in a very powerful position. And with power, with the wrong kind of mindset, you, you get shit that happens, man. And it's the same with Epstein and it's the same with Jimmy Savile and it's the same with Gary Glitter and it's the same with all these sort of like media figures that end up, ha that ends up uh, going on. And, you know, in some ways, maybe Russell Brand is the same. We don't know. He could be. We don't know. Um, but you're right. You know, they, they will basically draw parallels and just say, look, you know, this, this is the new, you know, uh, it's like Me Too person of the week or of the year or of the month. And then everyone draws that parallel in their mind to that person that they know. Oh, it's just like this. And then, you know, their opinion of them changes completely. And then, you know, companies, because companies are especially are so politicized these days. I, it just fucking boils my blood that, that companies can be right or left. They really shouldn't give a shit about anything, to be honest. Um, do, you think it's, that's, do you think it's sincere, though? No, no, it's definitely not sincere. No, it is purely a monetary thing. If we don't toe the line, government will make problems for us. And if they make problems for us, we make less money. That's the organizations for you. Yeah, and if you don't, I mean, if, if you happen to be an individual, then they have this. And, and, and whether it's true or not, like, we, we, I mean, we know about Epstein, right? That was sort right. of, that was his gig. Get these, power, uh -huh. get these powerful people in compromising positions, get some pictures of them with, you know, getting massages from, this young, from these young girls. And then we can use that at, at, a, at a time of our choosing we can use that to blackmail them on policy or on cultural narrative or production values or, or anything. We have this picture of you with this 16-year-old girl, Prince Andrew. You better do what we... But, but, but I, don't, I don't really get the Prince Andrew thing. Why? I mean, sure, you're having a party with underage girls and you invite Prince Andrew because, well, it wouldn't hurt to have some blackmail over the royal family. But what is it really? I mean, this is... It has always been a mystery to me. I'm sure it's a mystery to many Americans, but uh, why the royal family? 
the royal family are, are extremely powerful and they 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 are used quite often in diplomatic situations between nations and and they they touch many organizations they touch many nations they touch many things surprisingly many many things and so the fact that is it like a know, reverence ro- they just they're 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 revered because they're the royal family so they have influence yeah absolutely you know yeah absolutely they 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 have they have extreme influence just just from their status you know and they they're seen almost as a little bit impartial a little bit a little bit uh, removed from the standard um sort of like political sphere that we live in um so the fact that uh you know the royal family hang out with figures like epstein of not like figures as in you know pedophiles like epstein but of that nature that they would hang around with heads of state heads of large organizations you know kings of and queens of other nations it's like that that sort of thing does not surprise me at all and just like any elites like most billionaire sort of organizational leads you know will probably meet up do conferences this that and the other that's probably pretty commonplace so for me to, to envision why you know the royal family hangs out with people of, of that sort of like billionaire status that doesn't surprise me the fact that prince andrew was hanging out with uh epstein is sort of interesting considering that prince andrew um doesn't have much influence over much at all and no one else in the royal family really visited epstein if if only in passing um maybe at events and stuff but it seems like andrew was the one that was going around to his to his place and doing things um, that he shouldn't have been doing would would andrew have ever been the king no, 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 no. So there wasn't really, I mean, so I guess the angle could be that Epstein's got photos of Prince Andrew with Virginia Jeffrey, which is the, you know, she's the one that came, that sort of came out and started making accusations against, uh, against Prince Andrew and, and other people. Yeah, yeah. Potentially, you could use that as leverage over the queen at the time, but to accomplish what? I, like, what? What could yeah. the queen, if if Epstein or Epstein's people or any you know of these shadowy you know globalist types came yeah. and said, "Hey, queen, you better do this, or we're gonna release this information about you know Prince Andrew doing inappropriate things with underage girls." Like, what could that accomplish? Like, what is, what power does the royal family really have is, is what I'm asking. Oh, they, they, they have a great deal of power, actually. And they, they own a, a significant amount of land as well. You know, they, they, can, they can make things happen by a third party that you wouldn't believe. They can talk in someone's ear and get them to do a deal with someone else without them even touching it. Um, just because they just from people that they know, you know, you imagine you're a super powerful, very, very wealthy figure and, you know, all the other super powerful, very wealthy figures and you're held in high regard. You can make things happen that other people can't. You can talk to people that other people can't. So that there's a great deal of power that you have, um, you know, say if one country needs arms for another country, you know, you can say, hey, look, let's do this at a certain deal or, or you know, 
whatever if 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 that needs to happen. So there's there's plenty of stuff the royal family can do. A lot of people really underestimate how much power they they really do have. They don't have any let's say regulatory power over people, but they do have significant power in being able to um negotiate things or um swing swing things in 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 different people's favor i think is another way to put it what i the only problem i have with this argument around prince andrew itself is that if you think about it this way you essentially absolve prince andrew of of his own free will and that i will not as uh, i will not stand by T- to some degree whether it was coerced or not prince andrew of his own volition went over there and did things he should not have been doing that is that is something that is own, that, that is something that he did, right? So he couldn't he didn't he he didn't have to do it. None of the other family have done it. Okay. Uh the other parts of the royal family have done different stuff. You know, Harry's had his time in Vegas, uh <laughs> being a, a young a young man. Um, you know, but Prince Andrew is the only one that hung out with Epstein and that kind of thing. And the fact that, you know, so I, I want to say, yes, Epstein was using these situations to obviously get leverage in, uh, in certain areas, but he was probably only doing, doing that um, by using, you know, what people do uh, themselves, right? You know, Prince Andrew decided to do this. You know, people that tend to be paedophiles or abusers in general they tend to abuse in different ways as well. So you never know. We might learn about things that, of Andrew that he's done with other people as well. It's just like the Catholic Church kind of thing. Like, you know, they don't just abuse like one person, do they? So I think that's, I think that's the only thing I will say about that situation is that everyone's guilty in this respect. There is no sort of like, there is no argument for saying like, oh, I, I was coerced into having a sexual relation with a child. I mean, that's just outrageous to say to say something like that. So I think everyone's guilty in this respect. But yeah, there's there's it's it's a bit more three-dimensional. Well, and I think <clears throat> I think also that in 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 terms of Epstein and his his blackmail operation, he cast a wide net. And I mean, for example, oh hey, uh uh, uh Ghislaine, there's Donald Trump over there standing in that line. Let's uh, let's go over there and stand close to him and and we'll get some pictures taken. And then at least we have. Pictures of Donald Trump with us. And because, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was convicted, I think, in in uh, 2012. It's not really relevant. So he was already I mean, and this is one of the things that Bill Gates got in big trouble for. He was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. After he had already, you know, been established as a convicted pedophile. And I mean, yeah, not, not to mention yeah. all the, uh, you know, crazy discrepancies that went along with his, his conviction where he didn't actually, he didn't do hardly any prison time. He was allowed work release. So he got to be, he got to go home for eight hours and, and continue along on his, you know, merry path of, of trafficking underage girls to the powerful world's elite. And he went right back to it. After he was yeah. released, he was still engaging with these people. I think he was even still 
engaging with Prince Andrew, which gave him this, this element of, hey, I've got a picture with you. I'm a convicted pedophile now, um, and you've just had your picture taken with a convicted pedophile. This could create some problems for you if you don't go along with what we want you to go along with. Yeah. And this is why we really need an honest media. Because really, if, 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 you, if you look at any media establishment that takes ad revenue, you are at least at risk of having that media establishment spin a narrative that comes from one of their corporate sponsors. And, and this is one of the things that drove me crazy about uh, the, the testimony that Google gave before Congress years ago, where they said that they, they don't manipulate their search results. I mean, can you believe that? Can you believe that the CEO of Google at the time went before Congress and said, we don't manipulate our search results? Oh, okay. You don't, you don't manipulate your search results? Well, what do people pay you for then? Why do people pay you money to amplify their website or their business or whatever ad to the top of the search results, right? That's why when you search something on Google, which I actually haven't done in a long time, but when you search something on Google, the top search results, the very top, are, are all sponsored ads. So if Google was going to accept money to amplify, certain results couldn't they and wouldn't they also take money to suppress certain results if someone was paying them to i mean why wouldn't they do that why wouldn't why would any company say no we're not going to accept money for this service that we provide because we don't because it doesn't jive with our personally held beliefs this is one of my beefs with corporations being given the same rights as people in the united states is that, that corporations are soulless they don't feel empathy they don't feel an obligation to their employees or even their customers in in many cases but corporations have successfully lobbied the government to create some, some kind of human status for these corporations so that they have all of the same rights as a person does, in, including freedom of speech. And, and this is, I, I constantly struggle with this because of, I mean, I believe the, the lying corporate media is the number one problem in the world. And we could accomplish so much with so little if we only had an honest media. But how do we work around the First Amendment? How do we work around freedom of the press? How do we punish journalists and publications for publishing false information? And, and, and misleading the public and, and doing things like signing this, this letter that says uh, Hunter Biden's laptop is 
Russian, Russian disinformation. Not, none of those people are in trouble. In fact, a story just came out saying that they're being promoted to, to some committee at the Department of, of Homeland Security. They're being rewarded for being the worst kind of people. <laughs> do you see, do, I mean, you, without, you know, no, no offense intended, but you seem to have a much more positive opinion of the media in the UK. Um, I think they do a better job at attacking our politicians than American, than American media does. Our media has a lot of issues, but like the systematic destruction of Boris Johnson and the Tories, um, quite rightly so, is not something that I would ever see happening in America. I don't think I would ever find, other than maybe President Nixon, that was probably the only one I think I can think about. But there's been countless, uh, there's been countless, uh, uh, prime ministers and MPs and other political figures that have toppled under the just the sheer weight of the public press, and and one hundred percent justified. Not not like they have pressed them on an agenda, uh, but they have pressed them on very very cut and dry uh, things that they have done wrong. Okay, you know it, it could be quite easy for for us to say well, our agenda is this, and we love politicians, so we're just not going to attack them, even if they do, you know, horrible, heinous things, uh, and they go against their own word, and they do other things like that. But, you know, our media goes for the throat on this stuff. And I got to be honest, I think that it's better. I do think it's better than, than, than other countries' media outlets. On other stuff, this Russell Brand thing and on other stuff, it's just complete horseshit. I mean, it really is terrible. The way they talk about the economy makes no sense. The way they talk about media figures make no sense. But the thing we do well uh, in the UK is we attack our politicians and really make them feel the heat. I'll say that much. Which is a good thing. And, and but we should also have a media that attacks corporations and inform because, I mean, that's part of the free market, right? Like, the free market can't function if these massive corporations that are outsourcing their labor to, uh, you know, wage slaves in China are going to allow the, the media publications that they also own to report on these human rights abuses. And I, I just went to theguardian.com, and it is, it's the U.S. version. But top of the page, very first ad is Pfizer. So that tells me, now I don't, I don't know the, uh, you know, the board of, of directors or, you know, the editor-in-chief at The Guardian. But I think it's safe to assume that the Guardian doesn't want to lose the ad revenue it's getting from Pfizer. And it's just... Oh, fuck, I mean, no, fuck no, no. I mean, me, the, the Guardian is well known as a more of an, um, you know... But when I went to the BBC, outlet, so. it was only... The only ad I saw was for YouTube. And okay, you can I extrapolate that into whatever, you know, positive or negative, you know, bias you want to. But 
the point is that if you're taking really? money, you saw you saw an ad on the BBC. There shouldn't be any ads at all. I did. I saw an ad for YouTube for the the That's... NF the NFL Sunday ticket available on on is available on YouTube now. Okay, for real, that is a problem. There should not go, be any. Go ads there and tell me what you see, unless you have an ad blocker on your browser. I actually had to go over to my Microsoft browser because. Oh, let me check. I'm on. Yeah, because I have an ad blocker on mine normally. Here's one. So I just went back, and now it's an ad for T-Mobile, with another ad for uh, the NFL Sunday ticket. On... Are you on .com, BBC.com or something? Yeah. Oh, I can't view it because I'm in the UK. No, oh, you here. I'll share my screen. Yeah, share your screen and let me see this. Because because in the UK we pay. We pay taxes so that there aren't any ads on the BBC. That's the whole point of it. Well, and isn't so it there... isn't it interesting to get back to what Russell Brand was saying? You know, oh my God, there it is. You pay taxes for this media, which I, I it's a little, um, I'm a little apprehensive about that, but <clears throat> you pay taxes for this, for your media, and then the media runs ads, and then they keep all of that ad revenue when they should be reimbursing the taxes that they, that they received. But this is part of the global shift. This is part of the global shift that that I am that I'm seeing, you know, whether it's re- reality or a fever dream. <laughs> wow, I mean this this is this is actually such news to me because, you know, they're constantly going on about they need more money for the BBC, they need more money for the BBC because, you know, things are changing and this that and the other, and it's a fully tax funded uh, entity, but. This is so interesting to me that the dot com, the worldwide version of the BBC that you guys get, is is subsidized a little bit by Google Ads. Well, and that is so interesting to me. Doesn't that put the BBC in an interesting and and advantageous position? They can well, say, I... "Hey, we need more of these tax dollars. Otherwise, we may start running ads that are less favorable to you, political elites." When we wouldn't want that, and this is what I was getting at with the, you know, the the leverage that Facebook and and uh, Google and Twitter slash X has over politicians and and anybody, everybody can say, oh well, we'll just suppress all of your information. We won't we won't let you run any campaign ads. We'll highly publicize this story that came out about you getting massages from 16-year-old girls in you know on on little St. James Island. You know Julie- I mean I I th- this one I don't even know who benefits more from this because the BBC obviously gets a monetary benefit from the ads. But the fact that Google has the ads on the BBC website that is actually so crazy because Google will be able to see all the um, web activity of anyone that goes on the bbc.com website. So they will have that data knowledge of how people use uh, that website, as well as which stories do better than others based on how many clicks they get, as well as what kind of ads work best on the bbc.com. So I, I honestly think that for Google, this is actually a, a big W for Google more than more than the BBC getting the, the monetary incentive out of it. But 
this is actually like I, I am kind of uh, lost for words at this point here in the UK. The the whole and I cannot tell you how much the BBC is constantly thrown down our throats as like the be all and end all the standard that should be of the UK and the reason why we pay the TV license, which you'll laugh about. Uh, and the reason why we pay, our, you know, taxes for the radio, because it's, you know, we only have like 10 radio stations and four, four or five of them are BBC. It's because it comes out of our taxes and it's supposed to be impartial. And so this whole thing is like, we don't run ads because we're funded by the taxpayer and you pay your TV license because we don't run ads and all this sort of stuff. And to find out that they're running ads on the worldwide version of it is just absolutely just, uh, I don't really know how to feel right now. I feel like I need to like. Have a I me too like, moment. You need to have a me too moment. I'm serious. I feel like I need to like go <laughs> and phone someone about this. Like, I feel like I need to make a change.org petition or something. Like, this is genuinely like harrowing Occupy. Occupy the BBC. <laughs> I, I had no idea about this. This is actually the best episode ever for people listening because it's live fucking live journalism that's going on right now. Jesus. Okay. Wow. That's what's up. That's what's up. And it's and this is this is the sneaky thing. This is why this is why we do this podcast. Because years ago there were uh it was exposed that that Time Magazine had different covers. I'm just typing it in. Time Magazine had different, uh, different co- covers depending on on which countries their their publications were were going to. And uh, let's see, I need to find it. Just while you're pulling this uh, article up here, I I found uh, a question that someone asked the BBC: Why is there advertising on BBC websites? And they have said that the BBC puts advertising on its websites for users outside the UK. We use the income to help fund BBC services and keep the license fee paid by UK households lower than it otherwise would be. We have a very strict rules governing the adverts and advertisers, which we can accept. And we would never allow non-BBC approved advertising on our website. However, if you do notice some inappropriate advertising, we would recommend clearing the cache on your internet browser as this may cause inappropriate adverts to appear. So that's very, very, very interesting. Uh, I would rather pay more taxes and not have any adverts at all. Or I would rather pay less taxes and just have all the adverts on the whole thing altogether because i feel like i would rather the adverts have a lot of power over the bbc and me not have to pay for it uh or i just pay a bunch more money and them not have any level of interference from commercial interest uh rather than this sort of like halfway house where anything that they do internationally has some corporate interest done on it but everything they do domestically doesn't that seems really strange. Where is the line? Is it when you talk to people over there? Do, can you make certain stories that you can't make otherwise? What's going on? I That is very confusing to me. And also, my opinion of the BBC have like has shrunk possibly by 10 to 15% uh, on this uh, episode right now. That's right. That's what's up. Dude. You got to look so at that strange. link. I So I, I sent a link. 
I, I sent oh, a link to okay. your to your DMs because you you just have to look at it. There's nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, seventeen, nineteen examples where the cover around the world was the same, but in America it was something different. That is so funny. That is actually so funny. Look at the, the one about the euro is so funny because, and I kind of get it because in the US, I don't think anyone gives a shit about Europe. Well, yes. <laughs> the well, and, that's, and that's the thing. This is the sticking point for me because if it was different in the US and then it was so like the, the example that you're talking about, number two, where, where the, the Time Magazine headline in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa was why Germany must save the euro to save itself. But it's the same in Asia, and it's the same in yeah. the South Pacific. But in America, the headline is, or, or the, the Time Magazine cover is, the child-free life. That's so funny, by the way, <laughs> for so many reasons that that just parallel is just so hilarious. But I think what's really funny is that, um, and this shows you like the level of journalism going on at Time Magazine, is that this one below this one on October 3rd, 2011, it says why Germany can't save the world. And that's the time sort of headline there. And then the one you're talking about in August 12, 2013, it says why Germany must save the euro to save itself. So and by saving the euro, like what the fuck? So they're literally saying why Germany is basically sh can't save the world, and now they're saying Germany must save, you know, the euro, which is a great deal of the world. That's the whole eurozone, right? So that's just genuinely quite funny, uh, as a as a parallel. How Wait, what? how this is one, how the fuck? Sorry, this one about Gaddafi, and they haven't put Gaddafi on the U.S. one. That was such a huge story back then. Yeah, well, there was a lot. I mean, see, the, the Benghazi Gaddafi thing was very bad for the American politicians at the time, for, for Obama and Hillary Clinton, because of, you know, everything that happened with that. And uh, there, the movie 13 Hours with, uh, you know, Jim Halpert from The Office is, oh, uh, that's right. Yes, I it, I thought that's it a good was movie, I think. yeah. I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, but I also find it pretty interesting that a lot of a lot of the major events that have movies made about them have a really strong conspiracy theory tied to it. Like, yeah, I mean, anything that involves going to the moon. I mean, there's there's a big there's a lot of conspiracy about. Uh, you know, whether or not we actually landed on the moon, it doesn't really move the needle for me. Like, the conspiracy theories that interest me are the ones that actually have, like, real-world impact. Going to the moon or not is kind of like, eh, the government lied and said they went to the moon, you know? Like, whatever. What I think is, is most probable about the moon landing conspiracy theory, because, you know, they, they talk about the Van Allen radiation belt, and that we can't, you know, for, for whatever reason. I mean, I haven't looked into it that deeply because it, I, I'm not really that interested by it. But the, the argument is we wouldn't have been able to bring back pictures and, and video 
because or 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 even I mean some people say like human beings wouldn't even be able to survive passing through this Van Allen radiation belt. So what I think probably happened if that's true is that they went to the moon, they took all the pictures, they came back through the the Van Allen radiation belt and went shit. All of our all of our pictures got deleted. Well, we better call in Stanley Kubrick and get a soundstage in Hollywood and recreate these pictures. Otherwise, nobody's going to believe us. And <laughs> how did that work out for everybody? <laughs> now there's a huge sect of people that say, we never went to the moon and they fabricated the whole thing. And who cares? It's like, is the earth flat? Who cares? If it's flat, what does it change? Well, it changes that they lied. Okay, they lied. Big shocker. We have lots of evidence that they lie. I mean, the reason that the moon landing is a conspiracy theory and the earth being flat is a conspiracy theory is because all of these politicians and media outlets have been caught lying before. Yeah, for sure. So you never know what the fucking truth is or not and, until you test it yourself. And there is actually a, such a funny video, by the way, of some flat earthers like doing an actual scientific test to see if the earth was flat. And it turned out that it wasn't. And just seeing their live reaction um, oh, to man. the Earth being actually round was honestly, and the video is deleted now, I believe, but someone saved it, which is so good. But seeing their live reaction to that is genuinely amazing. It's, it's almost like, like when a caveman first discovers fire or something. Like They're not quite sure what they've discovered, but they realize that the significance of what they've discovered is 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 quite great <laughs> so so yeah and i think like looking at these time cover ma you know time covers uh i think it it does kind of back up what i'm saying about like the uk or at least european journalistic outfits we're not as afraid as you guys are at completely you know being extremely scathing towards our own politicians you know if you look at some of the stories in here like the some of the stories will be so like almost marley and me for for america they're sort of like fun you know fuddy duddy kind of like stories right like one is here one is about pakistan's despair and the other and the u.s one is about what makes a school great i mean it's just these are almost like you know the Zoloft or the depression drugs of of America, but I think in Europe we are much more uh, uh, raw and we we don't mind we we don't mind being uh, extremely extremely cutthroat towards uh, institutions and and government. Um, but to everything else, it's it's pretty much just the same. But I definitely think it would be it would serve the U.S. well. To stop being so afraid of of your uh, large organizations and and uh, politicians and governors and mayors and all that sort of thing, it, it, you know, it, it's gonna it's whoever does it first is gonna obviously get the brunt of uh, whatever that you know response will be. But it, at well, the end of the day, you'll have a better democracy. I I think one of the reasons that everyone is so afraid just in general, media types and politicians and celebrities, aside from, from their potential to be me too and have their lives ruined, uh, absent any evidence, is the way that the Justice Department has been weaponized under this, under this Biden regime. Yeah. 
all it takes is a is a letter from Merrick Garland, the attorney general, to say, "Hey, you better back off." We we've we've got we've received an anonymous tip that you may be engaged in some unsavory activities, and if you don't want us to begin an investigation and leak the details to the press, then you better toe the line. And it's it's just a, another example of how corrupt the Biden administration is. But also, and I think we've talked about it before, in the UK, the the ability for corporations to contribute to politicians is highly regulated and highly transparent. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of corruption in, in there at, at the moment, as, as with any system that works like that. But we do not have... <laughs> We, we do not have the same almost systematic, almost cottage industry of lobbying that the Americans do. The, the, you guys have got that down to a like science. Well, we have, we yeah. have super PACs. Like you, you don't yeah. have super PACs, yeah. right? No, 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 no. So no, a, a no. super PAC allows anyone, really anyone, like there, there are rules that are meant to be followed, but the, the problem is, if if any if there was any illegal activity by the candidate that won, well now they're in charge and they run the Justice Department. So good luck having any kind of meaningful investigation. But with a super PAC, anyone can donate in any amount of money really to this political campaign, and it goes unnoticed. So if all of these corporations and mega billionaires are donating millions and millions of dollars to political campaigns. Well, they're also going to be pulling the strings at the media outlets that they also own to suppress negative stories of the candidate that they're supporting and amplify the negative stories of the candidate that's running against them. So I think that's a prime example of why you, you ought to be able to trust the media in the UK over the media in the United States. Although I did read, uh, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't read this. I actually researched it myself and discovered that the owner of The Guardian at the time is the son of a Russian oligarch. That may not, yeah. that may not be true anymore. I think it was I, probably I at least five years ago. Yeah, I don't think it is anymore. I think I think the Guardian has become a little bit more independent now. I don't read the Guardian. I don't read the Daily Mail because the Daily Mail is owned by someone that makes significant contribu uh, contributions to um uh the Conservative Party. Um, and the Daily Mail is choked with ads. I've I've realized. Yeah, it, it's 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 the McDonald's of uh news article. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of like the major. Gateway pundit over here. Yeah, that that's essentially what the Daily Mail is. No one actually reads it. Uh, they they, as far as I as far as I really understand, the only time I read the Daily Mail is when I watch the BBC News at ten, and they read the papers. Uh, and one of them is quite often the Daily Mail. They just read the headline and some of the context of it, and that's the only reason I end up hearing about the Daily Mail. I think probably that's the case for another. 30% of the UK population is that they 
they read the Daily Mail by proxy uh, through other people talking about it than than they do themselves. And so, you know, they're not really a, a threat, but they quite often talk about Keir Starmer, you know, being someone that is uh, that they don't like, not because he has bad policies or anything, but they just don't like him. And that's OK. That's interesting. But uh, essentially, that's is what American, you know, kind of like outfits do on anything you know they don't like biden because they just don't like him or they don't like trump because they just don't like him i mean that's not really a reason you have to have a reason to not like someone so um that's yeah it's i don't know the, the journalism in the uk is, is is very funny it's it's a little bit more editorial uh some of it can be more flamboyant um definitely definitely more scathing they are not afraid to really go for the jugular and that sometimes works well in political situations uh, it becomes in political situations it works really really well because that means that it really holds them to account okay and do you feel that tough. it's do, do you feel that it's fairly equal the criticism be between the parties or does it seem one-sided um at the moment it's 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 one-sided i would say it's one-sided against the tories and, and but they're the party I, in power Right, they're the party in power, so that's always the case. Okay, so I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, right. So it, it's quite hard to, as well as like you know, there's plenty of stuff that Labour was doing wrong a little while ago, right? You know, there was the whole anti-Semitism row that was going on. Jeremy Corbyn was a massive Marxist, and and he was getting plenty of press, even though he wasn't in power, and and that seemingly is is very justified. At the moment, Labour isn't in power. They're not really doing any press releases. They're not really ruffling any feathers. There's a few things going on with Diane Abbott, and she's... I won't even go into that. It's just useless information. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's not really anything to talk about with Labour. They're not really doing anything. The SNP, uh, when they were having a massive uh, problem with criminality and uh, alleged rule-breaking and law-breaking and stuff like that, that they had their time in the sun. But the, the Conservatives at the moment have had... Uh, well, I mean, the last two years have been probably constant uh, fiascos of their own creation. I, I wouldn't say journalists are going out of their way to find things wrong with the conservatives. You know, to, to some degree, that's a bit bullshit because, you know, if you look at anything in life, you, you'll always find things that are inherently wrong. You know, I may have gone over the speed limit once or twice in my life. So if someone looked into that. Yes, I probably have gone over the speed limit. But, you know, in, in the ah, Tories a, case... You're a danger to yourself and others. You should never hold that, public office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for real, right? <laughs> for real. But with, with what's happening in, in the UK political sphere, it seems like everything that the Tories are doing, the Conservatives are doing, is seemingly self inflicted you know everything that Liz Truss was doing everything that Boris was doing and now Rishi Sunak and all the economic problems that they're having and all the you know going back and forth on their policies I mean it's just an absolute nightmare so to that degree I think at the moment the 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 journalism is pretty good and how I know that it's pretty good as well is that both sides of um the political spectrum complain about each other in pretty much the same way. They both say that the BBC is biased, which means the BBC probably isn't that biased because if the left and the right say that the BBC is biased, then it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, and then 
it's the same for other publications as well. So I think politically wise, if we're just talking about journalism against politicians, I think the UK does a fairly decent job. And the same goes for some of the European publications as well. I think so. If we're talking about agenda posts, you know, on culture, on current events, uh, on the economy, that's a different story. These things are a little bit less um, objective and therefore that invites people to start spouting their own opinion. And as soon as journalists start telling you about your their opinion, that's when you should fucking tune out because it's not about their opinion. They should just be describing what's happening in front of them, what they've heard from first party sources, and then you can take that information in and, and make your, your own mind about that. Well, and there's a place for that. Like that's, I mean, that's what this show is. This show is opinion. I mean, there's, we do a little expose, but there's a million outlets just doing news. You know, I, I do this show because I have opinions and perspectives that I don't see represented widely. Uh, but I think you're right. I think the, the fact that corporations can't really own politicians in the UK, I don't know about the rest of Europe, but the fact that, that corporations can't own politicians means that they wouldn't necessarily be restricting the journalism about these politicians. Well, I, I, I mean, unless there were personal <laughs> it's, relationships. It's, my understanding is a little bit different. Corporations can own politicians just fine. Um, it's just that the transparency around how that happens is just a little bit easier to see here in the UK. Like Jacob Rees-Mogg is 100% only in politics for his own economic gain in which he siphons off money to the Virgin Islands where he pays no tax. And, and I, that is something that everyone knows about. I just find uh, that to be so much less dangerous because it's known. You know, yeah. Like, it, well, it, yeah, absolutely. Like people understand the motives of certain politicians, and so you can kind of adjust your opinion about them based on yeah. Because you know, in in America, it's so shady, right? It's so shady. Nobody really knows who owns Hillary Clinton, for example, and no one really knows who owns Joe Biden. Let's say. And no one really knows who owns uh, whatever the speaker, Nancy Pelosi, right? Nancy Pelosi is another one that's like, you know, she's got her fingers in a few pies and everything. But it's definitely, definitely, definitely a little bit more ambiguous, I would say. It, just from the outside looking in, you might have a different opinion of it. But from my perspective, looking into the US from here, it is totally ambiguous who's pulling the strings corporation wise, you know, lobbying and all that sort of stuff. Well, anyone that has any amount of money can buy, I mean, especially like local politicians and, and even down to like the, the most entry level elected positions like the school board can have a tremendous amount of influence, especially when, when we see these efforts from, you know, foreign interests and, and globalist interests that want to sort of indoctrinate the minds of school children i mean even even college students to these sort of marxist and or fascist ideals you can elect somebody to the school board with minimum you know minimal investment and then you talk about you know like city council and commissioners and stuff like that like these are unknown elections most people don't care 
you can throw $1,000 at this guy to print up a bunch of signs and people will go to the voting booth and say, oh, I recognize that guy's name. He had signs everywhere. I kind of vote opposite. Like, what's who's the guy that has no money? Who's the guy? And I think it was in the last election. One guy, uh, you know, like a public utilities commissioner or something like that, actually made his own signs out of plywood and strategically placed them in a few locations along the highways and, and sort of main arteries. And I was like, I'm voting for that guy. You know why? Because he's he is not going to be influenced by any kind of corporate money or or any donors. He made his own signs out of spray paint and and plywood. And it's it's uncanny. Like I've I've brought it up on the show before. If you go to OpenSecrets.org, which is the website that you know reports all of the donations to all of the politicians, you can go to something like BlackRock or or Vanguard. You can actually look them up on this website, and you can see they've donated equally or almost equally. To all of these politicians, doesn't matter, red or blue. It's, it's typically, it's the incumbents. It's the people in power. It's the people that will do favors. And we're in, yeah. we have this culture now in the politics in the United States where you can pay your politicians or you can threaten your politicians to get them to do whatever you want. If, if they're squeaky clean, if they don't have a picture with Jeffrey Epstein, if they don't have a history of, you know, promiscuity, then maybe you can throw a million dollars at them and get them to do what you want. But you can say also, oh, hey, we're, I'm going to dispatch this journalist. I mean, that's the thing about the Russell Brand story. This journalist works for someone. Someone had to green light her traveling around. I mean, what we, we could we suppose that this person had to travel all the way to the UK to contact some of these previous Russell brand relationships. I mean, this was financed. Someone said it is beneficial to me to invest money in this story, to invest money in digging up this dirt on Russell brand, because these women didn't go forward. They were approached by a reporter. Yeah. That to me, I mean, to bring it around full circle, that to me is a big indication of the corruption that exists in the media and the political establishment whereby they will use whatever means necessary to affect the people that are enacting policy and that is not yeah. i mean why yeah. why would we why would anyone willingly support that kind of government. I mean, what what kind of government even is that? It's, it's the same reason that we know the names of no new bands. It's the same reason that all of the art is so watered down because it's all about, if everything has become return on investment. We have Joe Biden as the president because he's the most corrupt fucking bastard to ever hold the office. And he will, he will completely sell out the country and, and has sold out the country. I mean, look at this, this whole thing with the, the missing F-35. Have you, have you heard that story? No, I've not heard about oh, this. Oh, for How God's sake, freaking... we've lost a fucking jet. What? Apparently, they the found a debris field, is... but I don't oh, buy it. Shit. It's one of the most powerful pieces of military technology in the possession of the United States. Yes, it is. So the story is now, so far, it's developing. And just quickly before we sign off, 
the pilot, apparently there was some alarm bells. The pilot ejected, yet the autopilot didn't disengage. And the jet continued to fly. Okay. So it's it's claimed that they found a debris field so that they know where the plane is, but no one has ever actually come out and say, oh, they found the plane. And I heard it uh, posited on another podcast yesterday that if there were that there, if there were any kind of, uh, you know, bugs in the system would be a kind way to put it, maybe planted there by foreign government or a Chinese spy, for example, it could be affecting because there's, this is exposed a string of events of malfunctioning equipment that has caused the deaths of Marines and now an $80 million jet to go missing. Unfortunately, I can't trust the corporate media or the Biden administration to tell us anything truthful. So I can only assume that we've just willingly given one of the most powerful pieces of military technology in our possession to a foreign adversary, because why wouldn't they? If that's the case, that is like... I know it's a giant leap to make, and I'm like (laughs) laughing at myself about it. I hope it's been blown up, like, for real. Like, the F-35, you know, represents the taxpayer. And who knows what, Uh, I mean, uh, Yeah, it's, I mean, we know about the F-35. They put pictures of it on the internet, etc. Like, it can't be that secret. But still, it's not something that you would want to fall into the hands of the enemy. What I I find the most suspicious is why isn't... Why, why is the autopilot remaining on after the pilot ejects? Dude. That seems like a am- pretty serious design flaw. I can imagine something would have to stay on so the plane flies straight to get away from the person ejecting. I can understand that. Uh, why it would fly for so long, I'm not sure. And if it was still if it was still worthy of flying for so long that we lost track of it, and don't they have transponders? Wouldn't I mean this? We we have this jet that the autopilot doesn't turn off when the pilot ejects, and, and there's also no tracking devices on it of any kind. I mean, if you've got a cell phone in your pocket, they can find you. But they lost an eighty million dollar jet. I mean, it's just give me a break. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, like the transponders are short, short wave, like short range. Number one, because then your enemy can't find like your downed plane. Okay, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, that you don't want to be like, advertising that to like the enemy or something. And second, because it saves power for that little black box that they've they've got in the plane. It's, it's fairly common. I mean, that's the same for like that's the reason they can't find like MH17 and all those you know like commercial jets that go missing every now and again because yeah that that box is in the bottom of the ocean or something, and it only has a range of mm. so so many meters or something like that okay, and the f thirty five be no different, so I'm willing to accept that as as an answer to that that small yeah. circumstance yeah, I think there's another thing as well, like <laughs> how many companies like are ever tender to make these devices for governments like one of the issues that pisses me off constantly is is that there's only like one or two major commercial jet creators. And so every now and again, you get an issue 
which is just completely fucking bullshit because you can only trust one company to make it. That's why those 737 Max planes were going down because they made a fucking software error or a design error. Yeah, well, that was also like a, associated with the autopilot. Yeah, right? So it's like, well, when you've only got like a few companies, they're just going to do the least amount of effort for the most amount of money and so you're bound to you're bound to get these like stupid issues i know the f-35 just from some of the history of that plane has had so many issues in its development the fact that it's been made at all is sort of amazing to be fair right because that was one of the amazing that was one of the big issues i remember being reported actually at the time is that it's so expensive that it's almost like why are we doing this? Why are we making a jet that's so expensive? I, at least I yeah, think I remember that being a story. Honestly, it, it might end up being like one of these things where the technologies that they've had to innovate to make the plane isn't necessarily like good just for the plane, but they might have made technologies that, you know, filter down into consumer life in the similar way that like NASA created the microwave and now everyone in their home has a microwave. That's the kind of shit that ends up happening from that, similar to Formula One. Like, Formula One is the pinnacle of racing, and therefore it filters down eventually to, you know, consumer cars for better fuel mileage and performance stuff like that. So it might be one of those decisions. It might be one of those situations where, like, even though the F-35 has cost a shitload of money and it's really innovative and it's not very good, but maybe along the way for the... And I'm just saying this as as as, like... You know, there's a there's a bright spot for the taxpayer paying all this money. <laughs> uh, maybe along the way they figured something out that eventually makes it down to the consumer some way. Well said. We will leave it there. Visit vox404.com for links to all of our podcasts. Uh, follow us on X at Earthvox and send an email to therealearthvox at protonmail.com. We'll send you an invite to our Discord channel and you can engage in the conversation with us 404 final words yeah thanks very much for having us again this week uh we will see you next time and of course the next thing you can do is uh check out the last episode because there was uh, plenty of really cool things we were talking about a banger we'll talk to you soon <laughs>